0: Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where. folks, this is Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of a changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Um, today is Thursday. October the 1st, 2009, we've turned another month, and folks, I'm telling you, the holidays are coming. It's going to be, you're going to be walking the kids around for Halloween or giving them candy at the door before you know it. The next thing you know, you're going to be slicing a turkey, and then we're going to be listening to sleigh bells and uh, jingle bells and everything like that. It is going to come so quick the end of this year, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Because right now, folks, tentatively the plan is January 1, Survival Podcast, Full-Time Endeavor for Jack Spirico. And uh, to kind of separate myself from the rest of my uh, my business dealings and do this 100% of the time. And that's thanks to you guys. So a big thank you on that. wanted to announce that today. Um, Next, let's do a little bit of housekeeping real quick here. All, as always, please support our advertisers. Uh, advertisers of the day-to-day are number one, Sawtooth Tactical. Really cool stuff, guys. I mean, Sawtooth has got some really, really cool stuff. Uh, they're also Maxpedition dealers. They've just got an, uh, an order in and some real custom stuff. Check out uh, Sawtooth Tactical today. They're on the uh, website uh, in the right-hand margin where the rest of our sponsors are. And also, uh, MERS-radio.com. Again, mers MERS-radio. Radio. That's a dash for a hyphen radiocom Really cool stuff, really cool equipment, great way to extend your communications capabilities at the uh, family or neighborhood level, uh, or if you're like a rancher or something like that on your own property without any need for a license and going through ham testing and all that. And uh, MERS radio uh, may be a good thing to use to deal with today's subject, because we're going to be talking about civil unrest today and you know, riots and things like that. And it might be good to have as a neighborhood, communications medium Alright, next, make sure you're getting involved with our forum. I told you guys yesterday our forum just had its 100,000th post. That's a pretty big deal. We want you to be involved. We want you to form relationships. We want you to build some community both on and offline and the forum's a good place to start with that. We want you to get the education that's available there because it's massive. Um, I think on our forum right now if you just started reading what was on there uh, and and going into different subjects and threads and all, you could get basically the equivalent of a college degree in preparing off just the material that people have put there last but not least please consider joining the member support brigade if you think this show is worth more than 20 cents an episode um Consider supporting us with a contribution of about $50 a year or $5 a month, and uh, that'll help make this show the full-time endeavor I intend for it to be. Uh, additionally, you'll get a bunch of stuff, a bunch of cool stuff, and uh, we won't really say more about that today, other than there's over $70 worth of retail value you'll get for free. All right, now, let's uh, let's talk about today's subject, because this is going to be an interesting one. Um, a guy named Greg Cecil, who is, is a huge fan of the show, listens off and sends me all kinds of great information about political clowns and, and preparedness and, and shortages. And I mean, I, I should hire the guy as kind of a research assistant or something. He sends me so much. Well, he sent me an article that I got this morning, and the article caused me to preempt today's show. I was going to do a different topic today, and I read this article and said, we need to talk about this. And I've never really talked about it specifically. Uh, I've talked about all kinds of preparations. I've talked about the possibility of civil unrest, I've talked about how your preparedness would affect that, but I've never really talked about it as an individual topic. And um, he sent me this article by Claire Wolf, and I read the first uh, paragraph, and she basically says that everybody's done that, that no one's really paying attention to this topic. If If you go search for prepare for civil unrest on Google, you really won't find any information that'll help you actually prepare for civil unrest. And um, I thought, you know what, she's right, and it's something that needs to be addressed directly, so uh, I changed today's show, and it's based largely, I would say, not loosely, on her article, and I'll put a link to her article so you can read it, and I want to make sure people know, yeah, when I start giving you these levels of uh, civil unrest, and these 11 steps of how you can be prepared, they're straight from Claire, with my input added to them. All right, so... One of the things that I, I really found quite interesting about Claire's article was that she says, this is my word, not her hers, but her, her point was we're kind of sitting on a powder keg for civil unrest right now. Uh, I can't tell you exactly the words she used. I, I don't really remember. I had to read the article really fast to get the outline put together. Uh, but that was her point, that there's so many things that have gone wrong. Um, there's so many things that the government's doing that we're not happy about. The government's w- worried about our reaction. We're angry with them. We feel that we're not being listened to, and this fits right in with. I'm not a big fan of Rush Limbaugh, but sometimes at lunch I might listen to his show for a little bit. Um, I listened yesterday for about two minutes, just in awe at this lady that had called in, and she just went off. and He didn't say a word. He just let her talk, and she was talking about how frustrated she is that she was part of this huge movement that went. To Washington, over a million people, and they won't. The, the, the mainstream media won't even discuss it. Won't even talk about it. Won't even acknowledge it. The people are being ignored, and she sounded so frustrated, and so angry, and so motivated. And it's just a matter of how many of those people do you do that to before you create a catastrophe? And, and that was kind of her point. That it, it's actually surprising we don't have more civil unrests. In the United States, and I, I think she's right. And uh, hopefully, I can get Claire on here for an interview someday. Oh, that's real quick in the middle here. I got to tell you this: um, next week, I should have uh, John McCann and Ron Hood on for interviews. So that's going to be cool. And it looks like I'm going to have Dave Canterbury on too. Uh, I'm going to have to call him today sometime and see if I can make some arrangements with him. He just got selected to do a show on Discovery, uh, so I know his schedule is going to be kind of crazy. But I'd love to get him on for an interview. So uh, the interviews are coming and they're beginning to be uh, something I can do more stable uh, for you in the future okay but uh, anyway I would like to get Claire on so if anybody actually can get in touch with Claire let her know I'm looking to uh, get her on the uh, on the show but She goes into some of the things that could cause um, civil unrest to break out, things that are kind of bubbling at the surface right now, and if the government does one thing or circumstances take a different turn, could explode. And one, of course, is flu. Uh, The flu actually becoming really bad and causing a lot of problems for people, or the government continuing to overreach its boundaries and and force people to get vaccinations that don't want them or uh, to start imposing some level of quarantine, that any of these types of things people could get upset over. And she doesn't directly say it, but I I get the impression that she feels a lot about this current flu like I do, that they're overreacting to it and they're full of shit. And uh, that if, if this were a disease... That people really were genuinely afraid of and were scared and it was killing a lot of people and it needed to be contained. That people may be more willing to accept some uh, government restrictions and limitations and what have you. But, With it being considered bogus by most people, this is where the harder the government pushes, the more people are going to push back, and it's only a matter of time until things maybe break down. Another one she pointed out was the currency's devaluation. I think she called it a collapse, and um, I don't think we're to a collapse yet. We're not even to a devaluation yet. Uh, We haven't really seen the nasty effect of uh, inflation yet with all this money that's been pumped into the economy. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, I've told you on previous episodes when it's going to happen is in the middle of what looks like a recovery. Now, right now, everybody thinks that we're having kind of a recovery or a sucker's recovery because the Dow is almost back to 10,000. we're basically where the Dow was a year ago, folks. Before the second part of the crash, it's 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 not that big of a return, and it's it's a false return. And we haven't actually had a recovery yet where people start spending money because unemployment is still, you know, they'll tell us 9.87 or some other nonsense, but we know it's in the 15 to 18 percentiles if we looked at the true number of unemployed. Uh, The lowest demographic age group right now is at 50% unemployment. People that are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old are 50% unemployed right now. 50%. And a lot of them aren't drawing unemployment because they're trying to find their first real job. So they're not showing up in the employment unemployment statistics at all because they're not on the dole, because they didn't work long enough yet to draw from the dole. And that's, uh, that's a harsh reality. And to me, it's going to be when we do start to have recovery and all this money is sitting out there floating around in the system and the people do open up their spending and the money does start to flow, you'll see double-digit inflation the first year of recovery. And everybody will say it's okay, that it's just, uh, it's just a self-correction of the system because we were held back for so long and the bands will play and the stock market will rage and everybody will be sure that happy days are indeed here again and we're going to see the biggest bubble pop in history history at the end of that one. And uh, I think she's right, that if that happens, and if if you realize that one day you go out and it takes you a $5 bill to buy a loaf of the cheapest bread in the store, yeah, that's going to have people kind of going nuts. Uh, Nays. N-A-I-S. What's N-A-I-S? National Animal ID System. I've talked about it before. But this is a plan uh, that was initially going to be a federal mandate and is now kind of more of a federal guideline that they're recommending states pick up at a state level. And most states aren't doing it yet. But a lot of them seem to be kicking it around. This is uh, going to require you to put ID tags and, and document every livestock animal that you own. Uh, including chickens. Like the backyard guy keeps five of them. Yeah, that's, uh... You know, the the H.R. 875, when I told you they weren't after your tomato plant, they weren't after your tomato plant. They were after the small-scale agricultural farmer. all right. But on the A's, they're after your chickens. They're after your rabbits. I, I'm dead serious. If you read it, there's no other way to interpret it. And a lot of these small-scale producers that do sell at farmer's markets and all, that's the ones that are going to get hit hardest by this because they can't afford it. Because they're producing just enough more than you are you, it's an inconvenience, and I don't want it, and it may make me snap out if they try to make me put a chip in my chicken, all right? It really might, but uh, the the small-scale guy that sells, I don't know, two or three dozen chickens a week at a farmer's market, it'll put him out of business. It'll destroy his business, and... If they start forcing that on people and it starts to put these small-scale producers out of business and they start to stick their nose around the small-scale homesteaders like us, what what she's saying is there could be a huge riot. And, and she pointed out that there are now SWAT teams in like every federal agency. The Bureau of Land Management has a SWAT team. The hell does the Bureau of Land Management need a SWAT team for? And she's, what she's pointing out is that a lot of these agencies that oversee stuff like this it's not that they need one now, it's they're afraid they're going to because they're afraid that you, the public, is going to snap out at some point. She also pointed out the invasiveness of the new census that's going to be taken and, and people forcing themselves on a private property to take census. If they're told to get out, that they're not wanted, that they're not going to be talked to, they're saying that they have a right to be there and they have a right to the information they're asking for and that you are you know, held to comply with their census taking. That, that could have people snapping out and that could some of these things her point was could spread it out into the countryside we'll talk about that more in a second um, the other thing that she talked about was the destruction of herds if uh, it, there was recently a herd of elk that the entire herd of elk was destroyed and it was destroyed because one elk came down with chronic wasting disease even though the rest of the herd was quarantined for over 90 days actually I think it was 180 days and none of them not one of them showed any any uh, signs of being affected. They still ended up destroying the entire herd. It was completely bogus, and it was done in a land grab, because they got the elk out of the way so then they could grab the land and turn it into a billion-dollar development. That, that type of nonsense, if uh, we have a, a bird flu or two pop up over here, the real uh, threat, the H1N1 flu, that maybe they go around and start killing all the chickens... Maybe that snaps people out. There's a lot of uh, a lot of issues here. I think one that she left out that I talked about a little bit already is I think that there is a point where unemployment gets high enough where people just snap out and say, you know what, okay, I'm out of unemployment benefits. I have nothing left. No one will hire me. No one will give me a job. And people start snapping out over that. I think there's a lot of things that people are very frustrated about right now. Um, a, a lot of people that were never politically active before got politically active in the past two years. Uh, and on both sides, they've been screwed. The, the big, huge people that got behind this huge you know, ground swelling behind President Obama for hope and change and belief that he would uh, end the U.S. military action overseas and uh, that he would bring transparency to government and all the bills would be reviewable by the people before they were voted on and all these other promises and the arrogance and smugness of just, I'm not doing that Directly lying to the American people about what's not in a health care bill. And we find out it absolutely is 100% a lie. That the things that he came and told us to our face weren't there. Are the, the arrogance, days after inauguration, where people were saying we don't want this second stimulus. This pork laden pile of crap. And we were told if you think we should do nothing, your voice doesn't count. And, and you're talking over a, probably over a hundred million people felt that way, based on the poll numbers. I saw over a hundred million people, a third of the country, as many people as voted combined in the election. Plenty of them don't vote. I understand that, but a hundred million people in this country that he works for, you, your voice is meaningless. And we got it. We know what we didn't get any better from the Republicans. <laughs> The Republicans helped pass Bush's stimulus. We didn't want that either. They bailed out the auto industries, on and on and on. All this stuff happened. And what I'm saying is that it didn't cause people to go nuts. But people right now are kind of on that edge. where How much further can you push? That was the point of Claire's article. And I, I think we need to consider that. And we need to understand that it's always one little thing that sets it off. I was in Panama for two years in the Army. And... There were a lot of demonstrations by students in Panama. I have no idea what they were even demonstrating for. But there were demonstrations almost every day these guys were out in the street. Protesting stuff, these Panamanian college students. And every once in a while, they would break down into complete violence, and these guys would go nuts and start, you know, smashing windows out of buildings that they, they didn't have any grievance with the people that were in those buildings. There's a mob mentality that takes over, and once one person does something, there's a certain percentage of the crowd that will, will immediately, whatever was holding them back is gone. And then they go over that edge too. And they'll carry half the crowd with them. Half the crowd will realize, hey man, I didn't sign up for this and want we'll out and get caught up in it. But about half of them will go nuts and start tearing things apart. I've seen it too many times to not believe it's what's going to happen. And I know for a fact because of how many times I saw these demonstrations that nothing went wrong, that these people weren't going out there with the intent of a riot. It was a push too much by a cop. The wrong guy being pepper sprayed. Two guys getting in a fight that were part of the same protest, and the people around them thought it was it was political activity. Didn't realize it was just two people that didn't like each other. And then it fed the crowd, and then they erupted. I've seen cars turned over because of it. And, and, and it can be... In a crowd, or it can be as a crowd. And what I mean by as a crowd is it can be, you know, these things like what Monsanto did to Percy Smizer in uh, in Canada, suing him because their seed got on his property without his knowledge and without his desire, and they damaged his crop, and they sued him. And it can be the abuse of people like that on a large enough scale. You know, this Amish family that, that wanted to be left alone to sell their, their meat that, that the government cracked down on and broke in and, and pointed guns at them. Enough of that can cause an in mass riot across the country because people just decide to go get together and do something about it. And there's really not much they can do, but all they know to do is react. So all of these things, I think, do have our nation kind of like at the edge of this right now, and it may not happen, and I sure as hell hope it don't. It doesn't, it don't. Um, I I sure hope it doesn't, but I'll tell you one thing. The government's preemptive action may actually cause it, and and some people would look at it, maybe a little bit full-hattish, and say that's what they want. If they have rioting, then they can do all the stuff they'd like to do that they can't get away with because they can declare martial law. I'll tell you one thing. I don't know about that, but I do know that government loves power, and it loves to increase its power. It's what it's always done. It's what it always will do. That's why government has to be limited. So we should keep an eye on this. Now, when it comes to civil unrest, in her article, Claire mentions four levels of civil unrest. I don't know if these are her levels, or if uh, she picked them up from some kind of FEMA guideline, or, or whatever, uh, but here is how uh, she describes them. Level one is regional. But regional with no real direction. Regional civil unrest would have been like, uh, I don't know, when uh, the Sox won the World Series and the idiots in Boston destroyed half of their own downtown area to celebrate the Sox winning the, the World Series. They climbed up and they tore stuff apart. and They there were idiots hanging on light posts, pulling them down, and partying in the streets and breaking windows. There was real no no direction to that level of civil unrest, right? It was just we're 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 damaging to damage. It's when people she puts it as when we turn on each other, but with uh, with no real cause in mind. All right. Level 2 is a lot more dangerous because there's a, a method to the madness. Level 2 is where the mob specifically attacks specific targets. We're still in a regional type of event. A small area, maybe. But... What happens is, let's say maybe uh, a couple banks close and the mob attacks the banks. So they're they're looking to pull executives out of the banks. Or uh, the mob uh, goes down to a state capitol and starts pulling state legislators out of their clown house because they've had enough. Or a strike uh, ensues and turns into violence, and a group of striking truckers uh, start blocking roads and attacking any truck that tries to uh, bring items into the area. Anything like that. So there's, there's a target in mind at level two, and that makes the thing more dangerous because there's a plan. And when there's a plan, there's usually more longevity. Kind of the the, the, the you know the, the crazy just go everywhere and riot riot is easier to quell because as soon as they start busting heads, since there's no like you know m- movement, there's no there's nothing to be uh, to stand up for. People are quicker to pull back and stop what they're doing. A layer three. Or a level three riot is state or regional in size, but the big thing is you have widespread crackdown by the authorities, and we're talking you know travel restrictions, curfews, um, you know let me see your papers before you go forward, um, anything like that where the government really starts to uh, take a massive role in controlling and subduing the population. Now, now the government's added to the mess, and we're into a level three. In a level four, she says, it's just like that, but it's national or international in its scope. And that might be the point where they're throwing people in detention camps. And uh, scary to think about, but I think that we're foolish to believe that it could never happen. Some people would say that it's orchestrated to happen. I think, again, those people have you know, put a little too many strips of foil on the old head and and uh, I don't really believe that. But the 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 very facts are that the things that are necessary to cause it, at least at a national level, are in place right now. The government's behaving stupidly, to use a word that our illustrious president has used in the past, in the things that they're pushing on the American people at this point. We've basically collectively said we've had enough. Okay, we'll, we'll let you have what you've taken, but we're not letting you take anymore. There's been a line drawn in the sand at this point. And uh, it's only a matter of how far across that line they're going to cross before they will get a reaction they don't want. And then what they do in response to it, 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 it could be a spiraling powder keg. So we need to be prepared for this. And I also think we need to really accept the fact that this stuff can happen in the country. It can happen in the country... And what I mean by the country is out in the backwoods, out in the rural areas, without it happening in the cities. Because this nays stuff could have farmers everywhere, ranchers everywhere revolting, saying, no, I'm not going to comply with this. And you're not going to shut my operation down. And I'm going to defy you to do it. And what happens if 30,000 or a million small-scale producers in mass decide, we're not doing this? We could see SWAT teams moving in to take old, old Lady Jackson's chickens away. I, we've seen too much to say that that can't happen. So we need to be prepared, no matter where we are, uh, to to endure, to survive, and possibly to resist. It may come to that. I sure the hell hope it doesn't, but it might. Um, the first step, she has eleven steps for. Uh, for being prepared for for civil unrest, and I, I've changed them a little bit to suit me and my personality and, and my message a little bit, but they're based on hers. Number one is stay prepped. That's what I would tell you. Uh, I completely agree with that one. Your general preparedness: stored food, stored water, being prepared to go without electricity, without uh, support from the outside for extended periods of time. Keep doing that stuff. And well, how is that different than from what we say every day then? Since we're always saying. To stay prepped. Well, every time you look at a causative factor, okay, that's what James James Stevens calls this. is a causative factor. Civil unrest would be a cause that you would need to prepare for. When you look at a causative factor and you think about, well, what would it mean? It helps you find the holes in your preparations. So today, when you go home, think, if, 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 I, if you just fought your way through a crowd, you managed to get home, and everything was getting worse and worse, and it was in a downward spiral, and bugging out was not an option, you had to stay put. And you were going to go through two weeks of your city in riots. What would you do? How would you defend your home? How would you provide and, and think, if I couldn't leave for the next 14 days, what would I do? Where would my holes be? And, and start to fill those holes. It's good prepper mentality to do that from time to time anyway. And use any causative factor as to the why to help find, again, the disaster commonalities. And I think that's another thing I wanted to point out today. I almost forgot to. Uh, I talk a lot about the commonality of disaster. In other words, preparing to lose your job is not really that much different than preparing to uh, to go without power because of a weather event. You, you need the same things, money, food, uh, a plan. Right, There's a lot of commonalities between very dissimilar disasters. I think that the commonality of disaster helps you prepare for civil unrest, but on the other side, I think civil unrest is a disaster commonality. And what I mean by that is there's so many disasters that will create civil unrest. It's common. If we listed the top... 25 potential disasters in the United States today, probably 15 of them might, as a byproduct, create civil unrest. So it's a very common disaster that we need to be preparing for because it is part of so many other disasters. Um, The next one is, don't be complacent, is the way she puts it. And to me, what that means is don't think it can't happen. Don't, don't lull yourself into some false sense of security that because you live out in the middle of nowhere, it can't happen to you. She mentions things like, you know, what happened around the Branch Davidian compound. What happened at Ruby Ridge? Ruby Ridge is a pretty remote place. I mean, there's there was no need for any of that to happen. And I'm not saying that the revenues are coming to get you or anything. I'm not trying to put paranoia on you. I'm just saying don't think no matter where you live, don't think that this can't affect you. And I think that was Claire's point as well. The next one, stay healthy. And I think that she was bringing a lot of the flu stuff into this, wash your hands, sneeze into your elbow and all this stuff. I'm so tired of that, really. I mean, it's good advice, but we all know it by now. To me, stay healthy is more about make sure you have in your preps food that is uh, designed not just to keep you alive, but to keep you in a a good, strong state. Make sure you have lots of protein available. Make sure that you have good multivitamins and herbal medications in your your preparations as well. Be willing to uh, provide for yourself, be your own doctor if you need to be. And stay healthy. You know, take a walk every day. My God, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. And I do it. I walk every day at lunch and I probably walk at least a mile. Make sure that you stay in good shape, and I'm not talking about being an Adonis and looking like the most in shape person in the world. Those of you who've seen video of me, I'm a little bit heavier than I should be. I've lost a lot of weight, folks. Um, I think you guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put something out at the beginning of the year to demonstrate exactly how much weight I've lost. But, uh, but I'm still not the picture of health. But I'm a healthy guy. I can go elk hunting still. And I'll put a lot of those uh, supposed athletes in the ground on an elk hunting trip. Stay healthy. It's going to be necessary, because even if the civil unrest is not due to disease or pandemic or epidemic, once the civil unrest starts, or if we end up in a big shit hit the fan, health becomes a huge concern. That's when diseases will rear their ugly heads. You know, they say it always happens worse when the chips are already down, and that's that's what they're talking about. We get into a point where the cities are, are, are being destroyed by angry looters nationwide, and we'll have widespread disease to go with it, even if that had nothing to do with how it started out in the first place. She says "Create next step is create a common cause with your neighbors. I say build community locally. Make sure that you know your neighbors on a first-name basis and that you guys talk about some stuff like this once in a while. Just say, hey, you know, if anything ever goes wrong here, we, want, we need to be able to count on each other. Putting together a little neighborhood roster, just everybody's name and phone number on it. I mean, that's, that's a good idea. And it's an easy first step, and it's an easy way to get your neighborhood thinking about preparedness without them thinking you're some crazy, you no know, job survivalist, or without giving away exactly how much you have prepared if you are concerned about, you know, people kind of freaking out in a bad time and everybody trying to depend on you. Well, the best way to avoid that isn't so that people don't know that you're okay. It's for people to be okay themselves, to create stability in your own neighborhood. So I think civil unrest is a huge reason to have some level of level of neighborhood organization in place that's prepared to deal with this stuff. Because I'll tell you right now, a group of looters that are doing kind of the locust philosophy, where they go from place to place, destroying and taking stuff, they're not looking to die. That's not their goal. They don't want to be shot. They don't even want to be resisted. You know, what happens is after the first couple places they go to and they get away with it, they get this false sense of invincibility. But we saw in the Rodney King riots in L.A. that, you know what, it didn't matter how badass the crowd thought it was when a Korean guy took his AK and went up on the roof of his laundromat and said, you won't be looting here. His laundromat didn't get looted because they're like water. A crowd like that's like water. They follow the path of least resistance. I'll tell you what, if it ever comes to this, and I think people are coming to loot my house, I'll put a sign on the end of the street, not in front of my house, one of those you loot, we shoot signs, and I'll put a little stick figure on there. And I will be sitting on my roof. And if a band of people come around, my first shot won't take anybody out. I'll put a bullet in that little tiny stick figure's head. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you, because that sends three messages. I am armed. I will fire. And I can hit you. And I guarantee you, 99% of the time, that will send. Now we're not talking about force-on-force force engagements here and, and standing down. You know, a paramilitary force. We're talking about looters and rioters. And that will stand people down. But you know what will stand people down? More than one homeowner doing that. It's an entire group of homeowners that are armed, visibly armed, and say, not here, not on our street. You go somewhere else and try this crap. And uh, that's that has to start somewhere, and it may be with you. And don't try to get to there overnight. Don't try to get to the point where everybody that's armed on your street is known and part of a big club that are willing to come out and do this in a day because people will think you're nuts. But start with something simple like a neighborhood roster and just taking the neighbors that you already know the best and saying, hey, I've always thought of, you know, what if one of us just ends up stuck somewhere? It might be nice to be able to call one of the other neighbors and have them check on the house or, or you know, if I get stuck and my kids are home alone and, you know, but, but let's do this a little bit more organized and let's think about, you know, the, that old lady that lives down the street from us that we talk to once in a while but don't really know. We should have contact information for her and, more importantly, she should have it for us. Build that community. It, it, it has to be there. That way. Her next uh, point, I've kind of talked about now, just by expanding on that one, and that is be ready to defend what you have. She talks about it specifically, though, if you grow and produce your own food. That if we end up with riots that cause food shortages, uh, it's not just you know generalized rioting that you have to worry about at that point. It's that mob with a cause, you know, that where we've moved from from level one to at least level two in the, in the, uh, the civil unrest scale. Now the cause be- becomes, we're hungry, we need food, we're going to go get it from somebody. I'm not going to starve. And I've said this before, and people think I'm a little too far out there when I say it, but your neighbor will shoot you or beat you to get your food if he thinks his children will die without it. And I know we'd like to believe that we're all you know, pretty moral people and you know, a lot of people stand on their religion and say, well, I would never do that. And some people won't. Some people will never steal and never harm another person no matter what, unless that person attempts to harm them. There are people like that. So if you say you're one of them, that's fine. It doesn't do a hill of beans to get rid of the majority of the people that are not like that. And if it's 10%, which I think it's a hell of a lot more but if it's 10%, that's 3 million people out of three or what is it that? that's 30 million people in America 30 million people can do a lot of damage and I think it's a much bigger number than that I would say a third of people will be willing to do harm to others to feed themselves and especially to feed their families so if you have a nice homestead with a bunch of food and you got garden and you got, you know, fruit trees and stuff, you have to be prepared to defend it. That doesn't mean you might not open up your resources and share resources with your local area, maybe your neighbors and what have you. Um, but what it does mean is that. Outside of that group, there may be real threats, and it might be that you need that community because, folks, you can't guard your backyard 24-7. You don't have the manpower to do it. And uh, thieves come in the night. That's definitely the case. And it's a reason to look at increasing your security as you build your homestead up. The next piece of advice is a really good one, and I think it's one that people need to take to heart, and that is get advanced warning if you... Uh, if you're going to be traveling of uh, any type of situation that's you know has the potential to occur where you're going. A uh, perfect example is we were very aware that we might have to deal with um, forest fires when we went out to California. We knew it was the beginning of the forest fire season and sure enough they happened. Now we didn't have to, uh, to really alter anything but we were prepared for that. We were at least aware of it. We were paying attention and we knew that could be the case so we were ready to deal with the situation if it comes. I was also very acutely aware that In California right now, I'm concerned about rioting because of the government going bankrupt. And we looked at that before we went out there and said, we're probably not going to have to deal with this just yet. But I've told my listeners that are out there, I've told TW and Wolf on the forum directly to their face, you guys be ready for this place to go nuts out here the day that welfare recipients get IOUs in the mail. And they said, well, they're already sending IOUs to people. But they're sending IOUs to employees and contractors. Those people will tolerate it more. You you send out a hundred million or a million uh, IOUs to a million welfare recipients throughout the state. And, and you got a powder keg waiting to go off there, and I think sooner or later it's going to happen. That state is bankrupt. All they're doing right now is living on the people's credit card as long as they can. It's only a matter of time before, you know, California might slide into the ocean because of a couple hundred million people uh, rioting out there, uh, not an earthquake. It may look, make an earthquake look tame, what, what, what I think the potential is to happen, especially in places like Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, San Francisco. Uh, if we ever get to that point, and it might come. And uh, her next point, uh, suggestion was to stay alert to your surroundings and, and be prepared to think quick on your feet. If uh, you happen to end up, you know, in the middle of something like this without you, you know, without planning to, be ready to figure out how to get out quick. And I, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the past, and I sum it up simply as have good situational awareness. I've done, done entire shows on improving your situational awareness, and I think it's it's important not just for civil unrest; it's important for day to day. If you're situationally aware. And uh, you're a concealed carry holder, for instance, and you go into a restaurant with your your wife or with friends or what have you. When you're seated at a table, you're always going to insist on taking a seat that puts your back to the least populated area. You know, if you're in the center, then you you'll turn toward whichever wall's closest with your back that way. If you're way in the back of the of the uh, establishment, you're going to want to be you know your wall to the back, looking out the front. You're going to be prepared to use Utilize the weapon that you have if the situation arises simply because you're the one that can do it. So you're going to be aware of that. If you're not armed, or even if you are armed, you're probably also going to be looking, okay, if somebody comes in here and freaks out and starts shooting people, how do we get out? What do we do? If you're situationally aware and you're walking down the street and somebody looks at you the wrong way, and I'm not talking about, you know, let's go up and have a big confrontation now, but just looks at you and you read that look to say they're looking at you thinking that person's out of place, that probably means you are out of place. And the next person that notices it may be somebody that wants to victimize you and the time to take corrective action and extract yourself from the situation is now before it becomes a disaster for you. Well, she's saying the same thing, but she's saying have that situational awareness uh, tuned in, so maybe even if you don't avoid the disaster itself, the civil unrest itself, that you are able to, uh, to extricate yourself from it once it does happen. In other words, how am I going to get out of the middle of this, this mob of angry people as quickly as possible? And what, what's not said in the article, and something I'll expand on here, I think a big way to avoid that is a lot of times things start to heat up and natural human curiosity takes over. We want to get close and see what the hell is going on. When you start to see a group amass that way and you start to see some warning signs, get the hell away from it. You go watch it on TV. You don't want to be there when the tear gas flies and uh, that is the next one in her, uh, her list, is if you do get caught up in it, and you get caught up in it when the tear gas starts flying and they start arresting people, do not resist arrest. Uh, cops are probably not going to believe you when you say, hey, I'm not part of this, I just ended up here. That in most of these situations, unless they're throwing people in internment camps or something or disappearing them, uh, most of the time, people that are arrested for this, even when they are involved, unless they're a ringleader or they have video of the guy smashing something, all charges are dropped within the next day and everybody's released. So you're, you're probably only going to make the situation worse by resisting arrest. I've always said that you don't resist arrest period. Your argument is not with a police officer. It is with a court. That is how our system works. Now, she says if we ever get to the dark days or the tinfoil hatters where they're rounding people up and throwing them in, you know, detention facilities, then fight for everything you have and run and get the hell away. I I would agree if we ever get to that point. As long as we're not there, if somebody wants to take you to jail because you happen to be on the side of the street where a riot happened, go to jail. Tell the judge your story. It's an inconvenience but it will prevent you from being tasered and maced and beaten with a billy club and then charged with resisting arrest. Uh, She also says to carry a lawyer's card with you. Get a good lawyer and carry his card in case you end up in that situation. I think that's good advice for anybody in any situation, period. Uh, Civil unrest or not, have a good uh, lawyer with you. And then the last one was try to avoid roadblocks, which may be difficult in a wide-scale situation. Uh, but I think it was a good article. I, I would encourage you to read it and get the things out of it that she delivered that I didn't. And uh, hopefully with my podcast today and the article together, you'll be able to uh, to expand on, more, on, on both more than either one could do alone for you. Uh, I also found it interesting. She showed a little uh, picture of what the card she carries from her attorney. Uh, has on the back of it, and the first one was, uh, you know, don't resist, be polite. Uh, two was, or actually, one was, ask if you can call your lawyer, and then two was, don't resist, be polite. Three was, don't admit or deny anything. Keep your mouth. You have the right to remain silent. and Use it. And four was, you know, in a situation where they're giving you, they're harassing you, but they haven't actually slapped the cuffs on and they're not taking you to jail yet, ask, am I free to go? And if they say yes, immediately shut up and leave. You don't need to know anything else. Extricate yourself from the situation. I thought that was great advice. And uh, she had a book on there about uh, dealing with uh, encounters with law enforcement. I think I'm going to pick that book up and do a review of it for you guys. Uh, This lady seems to be pretty switched on and has a pretty good grasp of this stuff. So anyway... You know, let me wind up today by saying that I know I talked about some pretty scary scenarios today, and I know you might look around and it's a gray, rainy day here in Dallas, and that just makes you feel even a little bit more down. And you may be thinking a little bit now, like, "Damn, this this is an, you know, like it's not an if, it's a when that we're going to have some kind of explosion like this." I think there's even some truth to that, folks. I, I don't know that national, total, complete disarray is inevitable. It certainly could happen. It's a possibility we have to be ready for, it. but we're. we're. We're going to have regional civil disobedience. We have in the past. We will in the future. It may or may not affect you. But if you're well prepared to defend what you have, if you have a decent community built up around you, if you know how to evac if you have to, if you have plans for that, if you have contact information for all the people that you need and all the people that you love, if you have a good supply of food, at least 30 to 60 days minimum, if you have a good supply of water, if you have ways to keep some power on or just some lights on, if you have ways to keep your you, know, you live in a place where it gets really hot, hopefully you have at least some box fans and some backup power. If you have that, you can get through 99% of this without it being anything more than an inconvenience in your life. I want you to stay empowered by the things that we talk about here. I never want you to be afraid beyond what is reasonable. There's a certain amount of fear in human beings. There's a certain amount of fear that does drive a prepper. It's a little bit of fear. It's, a, it's it's more concern than fear. It's an understanding that you are human. And as a human, you have certain inherent weaknesses. Among these are that if you are beaten hard enough, you bleed and die. If you're shot, you die. If you're not fed, you die. Right? So, if you're you look at a situation that can put you into something like that, it's natural to be afraid of it. If you're standing out in the street and you see a car doing 100 miles an hour coming directly at you, instinctual fear makes you jump out of the way. In that case, fear is a good thing. Enough of a fear to realize, hey, you know, there could be some real turmoil over this flu thing if the situation gets much worse is a good, healthy fear, but only if it's checked and controlled by power in action. You have to be proactive. You can't sit around going, oh my God, what do I do if? You have to start living right now, this second, as though it's already occurred and you don't care because you're self-sufficient and you're going to take care of yourself. If you do that with that type of an empowerment, then this stuff, indeed, is only an inconvenience. It's only an annoyance. It's It's only a concern sure really bad things could happen but I could get hit right now by a semi truck and killed and they would find this recorder and hopefully somebody would put it together and play it for you as my last show that doesn't mean I don't get up and go out and drive to work well that's the same thing with disasters in any given disaster you could be at ground zero of the disaster terrorists could set off a nuclear bomb and you might be parked across the street you're vaporized into light your problems are over But you don't live your life planning for that. You live your life planning to be 50 miles away and dealing with the fallout of that terrorist attack and the repercussions economically and domestically. What's going to happen to our country if something like that happens? How will you deal with it? You plan for that. When you plan to be the survivor then you plan for the most probable situation. Because the most probable situation in any disaster is it doesn't take you out immediately. You have an opportunity to do something. So you're ready to do whatever is reasonable to help you and the people you care about continue and survive and thrive and you do that by living your life better today that's why this show's been successful okay it's because of you guys and it's because of that message those two things together are what have made this a successful show because what you do now matters for today even if nothing goes wrong keep doing that keep working keep building keep preparing and you'll be ready for civil unrest or anything else no, that I ever you. comes your way this has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times man, get tough, or even if they don't, you can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.